You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. There is a place where time stands still, where nature is harsh and demanding, where only the quick and the strong and the deadly can survive. This place is no place for civilized man. Good morning, everybody. This is Annie for Showreel. And today we're doing a little departure from our usual because it was... Uh, uh, mentioned to me the other day that uh, Showreel is now 10 years old, which is an extraordinary length of time. It's amazing how much uh, time passes when you're having fun, as they say. And uh, I caught up with my co-host from 10 years ago, Mohammed, Mohammed Hashem, who now lives in Cairo, um, to chinwag about what he's been doing over the uh, last 10 years since, uh, well, he was here for a couple of years, but then he moved on. And uh, what I discovered was a, a mad cultural journey that still includes elements of the uh, purpose of Showreel, which was to promote uh, the work that people do in the Australian cultural film moving image Area and uh, he he still flies the flag for Australian culture, but now it's in Cairo. And this conversation is really fascinating to me because there's so many elements of the lived experience of being in Cairo which we never know anything about in the news. Uh, did you know that there's a mirror administrative Cairo being built? Hmm. Well, there you go. Here we go. I took a, a, a small break when I left Australia in 2014 and I went and lived on a farm for a little bit and, and was trying to live a you know, self-sustained life on my own. So my plan was to get a, live on a farm with my dog and, and, and live that way. Um, and I didn't last long. It lasted for about six months. And then I decided to get back into filmmaking and, and, and theatre directing. and you know, So I came back to Cairo. Cairo is a huge city. It's got like uh, 20 million people, 25 million people. Um, and they've actually got a rich history of, of theatre in Cairo. Uh, huge. You know, they've been doing it for the last 120 years. So I, I tried to tap into that market, the old um, you know, theatre houses in, in downtown Cairo. And I was lucky enough to stumble into some you know, really interesting people. And we, we did a, a small play. Actually, I did, a, I did a play in 2012 first. My first play was 2012. And then 14, I did the Ubervoir, which is a French play by Alfred Dury. We had done it in Richmond, in Melbourne. And then I um, asked Jason, who I was living with at the time, to send me over the script. So he sent me over the script, and I got an Egyptian playwright to translate it into Egyptian Arabic, which we did. You know, we, we cast like a huge cast of like about 20 actors and 20 choir singers and 
it took about seven, eight months to get going and it was a huge production and it started from nothing, you know, and it was a real success. It went on for about two weeks on stage. The real success to that play was the Australian English was very, when we translated, when we translated, translated it to Egyptian Arabic, it was very similar. The jokes were very similar. So the Egyptians understood it straight away because Jason had to translate it from English English to Australian English. And he and he and he reckons that the, Austra- the English English wasn't as funny for, 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 for Australian audiences, and it wouldn't have been as funny for an Egyptian audience. And then I um, I don't know if you can remember this, Annie, but I was always wanting to um, do a Charlie Chaplin rendition on stage. So I pretty much had this imagination of uh, Charlie Chaplin leaving the screen and then all of a sudden getting thrown onto the stage. And that's what we did. We um, we literally got a we had a, we had a big screen on stage, and then we got this huge white material um, to cover the rest of the, the screen. So it seemed like a bigger screen than it was. And I I got a great actor to play Charlie Chaplin in a you know in a Charlie Chaplin costume, and literally um, it was the movie City Lights, 1933. So we had the, the initial scene of City Lights when he's on the statue. Um, at the start of the film and he literally pops out in front of the audience and then the whole we sort of replayed the whole film on stage so I, I cut the scenes I made the scenes shorter I only added about three or four characters obviously I didn't have all of the characters in the film I didn't have the elephant because there was a big elephant in that film <laughs> so yeah we recreated City Lights um, on stage and that was a big hit here also it went on for a while 2015 um then we moved on to UN work. So I got some um, commissions from the UN. So we did a, a play about human trafficking in um, it was Kenya. So the Kenyans were big to Egypt back then. So we wanted to make a you know an announcement play, you know, getting people to be aware of it's, it's actually happening. So what they would do is they would trick young you know Kenyan girls into believing they could become actresses in Egypt. So my character was called Halima, who was a Kenyan uh, girl who was told that if you go to Egypt, you're going to become like Fatin Hamama. Now, Fatin Hamama was like the Marilyn Monroe of Egypt back then, or in the, in the 50s. Um, so they said, you're going to be like her. Um, and she sort of believed it. And they said, all you got to do is get on the plane and someone will meet you at the airport and they'll let you into the industry. And obviously that didn't happen. As soon as she got off the plane... She was, you know, pushed into a van, into a car, and taken hostage for a few years as a slave. So they're trafficked as slaves for the rich here, the real rich. Um, and uh, so Halima sort of had to escape, and she was, and she finally escaped. And it was a really like hopeful story. We turned it into a really hopeful story, and I had some great singers on stage, um, singing Sarah McLaughlin's great song um, at the end. And then I produced the film. A documentary film about a, a um, an important Reuters uh, filmmaker who was Egyptian who used to travel in 1991 in Iraq to cover the war. Um, I said to them, "Who cares about a, a guy filming in Iraq with all the bombs going off and stuff? I mean, we might be interested for about five minutes, but we're going to lose interest because the, the guy's story is too. It's it's a big story, you know. We as an audience member, we need to relate to things in the film." to continue watching it. When somebody's too good or too powerful or too, 
you know, they're doing something so unique, it becomes boring for us. We switch off. We're like, oh, yeah, okay, you're great, mate. You're in Iraq. You're taking amazing <laughs> photographs, you know. <laughs> and then I said, well, forget about making it about him in Iraq. Let's make it about him and his family. And I said, what? He's a great journalist. I said, okay, I understand he's a great journalist. I can look him up on Wikipedia and, and find out, you know, all the, the great things he did. I want to find out about his daughter. They go, what? You know, in the Arabic culture, it's a bit hard to go into people's houses and to ask them personal questions about, you know, their family and their children. But this guy was fine. We said, can we make this about you and your daughter? And he's like, what? And I'm like, yeah, we want to know the relationship. We want to follow you around and ask your daughter questions and you questions. Um, and, and, and we can talk about your work. Your work's in the background. We know what you've done. It's amazing. You're an amazing press photographer. You've won amazing awards. But what would make this more amazing is the tension that is, is there between you and your daughter. And we sort of figured that out as we went along. And amazing things happened. You know, she was complaining about him not letting her become a photographer because, you know, she was a woman, you know, and he didn't want his young daughter to be hurt. And, she, you know, she would, they'll be sitting there in the kitchen arguing, Dad, you've been doing this for 30 years. And he's like, well, I'm a man. You know, I can handle it. And she's like, well, I can handle it too. And he's like, no, you can't. But the, the tension and the argument um, was amazing. And it really resonated with people when we showed it in 2016, it was. And it won an award here, the best documentary. Then, and then I started working for the university. So I started teaching documentary um, filmmaking and in the media department. So that took me off practical work for a while. So I started teaching a whole bunch of, they call them anyone from the age of 18 to 21 as a freshman. So un undergraduate, basically. Um, and then I started the media department of the British Uni, <laughs> which went on for about four years. Yeah, so we were teaching things like media theory, documentary filmmaking, podcasting, you know, blogging, filmmaking. And then I moved on to master's, um, master's pro, teaching the master's program. And then I got sick of all that and I wasn't making enough money, as you do. And in 2018, um, there was an announcement they're opening up a huge administrative capital which is like they reckon it was going to be bigger than singapore and it is bigger than singapore i mean it's not finished yet but it's a, it's a big project so they're going to build this new cairo outside of the old cairo and wow. at that time they wanted um they were giving away literally free university um licenses which means you can open up an international license uh, university for free. I mean, you've got to find the funder to fund the building, the campus, but the actual license, the permission, you know, the bureaucratic permission was, was for free because they wanted to fill up the, the capital. So um, <clears throat> I was friends here with Glenn at the time, Glenn's the ambassador, Australian ambassador, and I rang him up and I said, you know, what do you reckon? And he's like, well, I don't know anything about it. I've just come here. You know, can, they, can we build a, <laughs> a university in the desert? So I said, let me try. Let me ask a few Australian universities, see if they're interested. Um, and I, and I went for the big guys, the, the big unis at the beginning, I went from Monash and Melbourne, they didn't want a bar of it. <laughs> and then I, I met a few universities, um, from Perth. So they were here promoting an Australian university for students to go to Perth. So they wanted kids to go to Perth. So I met up with them at the ho one of the hotels here. And I said to them, what about us bringing you here? Products, I mean, education is a product now. Um, 
it, need, it needs to be modified. So people here speak Arabic. I'm not saying the education was going to be in Arabic, but it, it, it changes. We need to get professors from Egypt. You know, we can't necessarily okay. afford getting every professor from Australia. We can get five or 10%, but we can't get 100%. So anyway, the, the um, project didn't go ahead. This was now and now we're moving on to 2019. Between that, I ran my own theater. Sorry, I, I, at that point, I was running a 500-seater in, in downtown for about six months until it was taken away from me by one of the big uh, theater guys here. Some big shot theater guy, he's just like, who's this Mo guy from Australia doing all this stuff, you know? Because um, I opened up an, a, a theater that was initially built in 1896. Uh, I opened it on my own, you know? I just pretty much went in there, met the owner, and I said, and he goes, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to make plays and I want to make concerts here. And he said, oh, this, this, this whole theater's been closed for about 20 years. It, it belonged to my grandfather. And I'm a lawyer and I'm not interested in, in, in the arts. And I don't know how to run a theater. I said, I do. Um, I'll try. And he goes, are you sure? And I said, yeah. He goes, really dusty and old. And I said, we'll clean it, you know. <laughs> so we, we cleaned it. We, we cleaned it up and we, uh, we, we operated for about six or seven months. And then we started advertising it. And then this, uh, his name is Ashraf Abdul Bey. You never forget that name, Ashraf. He heard, he heard about the project. And this guy gets funded by the Saudis. He gets millions from the Saudis. So when he heard about me, little old me, he said, well, he went out, he approached the owner and he said, well, I can, I can renovate this theater for you for about 20 million pounds, Egyptian pounds, which is about $3 million. <laughs> and I'll pay you a million dollars upfront for rent. So I get a call from the owner. <laughs> well, no contest, Mo. No contest. Well, 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 the actual owner sort of gave me a chance. He rang me up in the morning and he said to me, Mo, and I said, yeah. He goes, have you got a million, have you got a million pounds? And I said, no. <laughs> he goes, can, can you renovate it for 20 million? And I said, no, I can't. I can just get mops and buckets and soap in there. So that's all I can do. And then he said, well, I, I have an offer from this Ashraf guy. who has been the theatre guy for about 40 years here. He's well known. And... And he said, look, I like you as a bloke. You're a good man. You're honest. You're a, you're a professional. I love your crowd. Your crowds are really good. They don't rip my seats, he said. You know, they, they, they look after my seats. <laughs> but the office too good to be true, you know. And he goes, if you're in my shoes, what would you do? You know, and I said, take it. I said, absolutely, take it. Just make sure, <laughs> just make sure he doesn't take it away from you because there's a habit here of hijacking projects. So this Ashraf director guy, because he's so big in the industry, he's got heaps of contacts with the uh, Opera House. And the Opera House like to take over things when they can. And this is an old relic. It's an old, you know, it's a very old ancient theatre built by the Italians, 1896. It's privately owned. Um, the government hasn't taken hold of it. So I was saying, be careful. He was like, no, no, don't worry about that. They can't do anything to me. And then I think I, I met him about two years later and he said, Ashraf hasn't paid the rent for two years. And I said, there you go, I told you. <laughs> but he renovated it at least. All the curtains are red again and the chairs are red again. And anyway, that was, that was an interesting time. Hi, I'm Ahmed from Fridor Primary School and you're listening to Community Radio on the 3CR. Yeah, and you're with Annie on Showreel, and we're having a yarn with uh, Mo Hashem, who is the co-founder of uh, Showreel, and we're celebrating the 10th year of uh, Showreel broadcasting on your community radio, 3CR. And what a yarn, Tele, eh? except this is real. 
<laughs> he spins straw into gold. Corona hit. So this is 2020. Yeah, and, and nothing was happening then. Like it was just, it all came to a stop, obviously. Um, but, but here it was a bit shorter than in Australia. So we stopped for about three months here. I think in Australia you stopped for about a year and a half completely. Yeah, yeah. So we stopped for about three months. And all of a sudden I get a, I get a call from a friend in America who um, had a, a lady that wants to do a play online. She's you know, sitting at home bored and she wants to tell her life story online. And he said, would you like to direct it? And I said, yeah, I would. And he goes, she's going to pay you. And I said, no, it's fine. I don't even want to get paid. She's like, no, no, she'll pay you. So I was getting paid like, you know, good, good dollars, American dollars, to direct the play online for about six months. And online means that on Zoom, basically. So she was on camera. I was in Egypt. She was in America. And as a one-woman show, um, it was about dating all these men throughout her whole life. She was about 50, mid-50s. So she wanted to talk about all the different men she's dated. And the play was called 26 Red Flags. And it was really funny. You know, it was really, really, it was a real comedy. It was a bit vulgar and, and in your face and really, really interesting. And it took us about six months. Um, and then we got a huge crowd because it's on Zoom. So we had like hundreds of people watching it from everywhere, from America, from Colorado, from San Francisco, from other countries, from Mexico. We had people from Mexico. <laughs> so that really took off. And then I met a, a fantastic guy online. His name is Michael from, from Melbourne, playwright, who heard about this um, online play. And we had been chatting for a while. And he said, do you want to you do a play online? And I said, yeah, I just finished one. Let's do another one. <laughs> I'm getting good, at the, getting, good, getting good at these, you know. So we um, started his play online. It didn't go too well because we had too many characters. We had about 15 um, actors. It was very difficult to, to coordinate 15 actors from different parts of the world. Um, and then at the same time, I started contacting uh, the, the owner of the Australian Film Academy um, in 2020. I've still had that dream of education, Australian education in Egypt. So I contacted John um, from the academy and I gave him the same idea that we had for the uni. And he, and he asked the same questions, you know, how are we going to do it? And is the quality going to be the same? And, and um, he said, let's at least try it out online for now. So what we, used to, what we, what we started doing is, um, inviting students to uh, attend lectures by John and other practitioners from the from the academy in Australia, and John found it really interesting. You know, all these people from the Middle East speaking, you know, good English, loving film and television and uh, filmmaking and acting, and um, that went on for about a year and a half of trials. John finally agreed to um, give me permission to operate on their behalf here, which is fantastic for me. And, and for Australia and for John and for the, for the Academy. So really excited about that. So that's been happening for the last five months. Creating an Australian Academy in the Middle East here. And, and basically online again. So we're going to be teaching um, you know, filmmaking courses, cinematography um, online from Australia and from here. So we're going to get people from the region to participate in that. I mean, John was thinking about coming here and opening up in a physical building and like like Howard Fine Studios or something in, in Melbourne when Howard Fine came from the States, something like that here. You know, I'm leaning towards keeping it online for now. You know, maybe doing a few face-to-face -face classes by joining other media academies that already have the place. Because there's so many media academies here and film academies. Instead of getting our own, I can just um, 
you know, partner up with someone already here and do our courses in their academy. We can just share the profits. That's, that's also an idea. So, um, I mean, are you a, a single flag bearer for Australia in Egypt or is this? I am. Uh, I, I, am the only, I am the only individual for the last 10 years trying to um, promote Australian culture. Oh, and I forgot, I brought over Oski in 2017. So I rang up the AFL. This is how it all started. I forgot to tell you about Oski. How can I forget that? So this all started with Oski. So I rang up the AFL. And I said, well, let's start with sport because everybody loves sport. So instead of bringing over Australian culture all of a sudden, let's bring over football. And I brought over football. They sent me 70 balls, 70 uh, AFL balls. And, and the embassy paid for the uh, DHL shipment. I think it was about $500 to send it over from, um, from Australia. I received these balls. I started opening up all these little footy clinics in town. And the kids loved it here, you know. And they love the running around and the, it's different to soccer and the tackling and all that and the freedom. They call it freedom here. They love the freedom of, um, of just being able to do all of that. You know, using your hands, your feet, your head, your legs, your knees, not just your feet or your legs. So they loved all that. Um, and I contacted Dubai. There was guys in Dubai that had an AFL Middle East uh, league. Um, yeah. There's a lot of Australians in Dubai, by the way. And they're doing some fantastic... There's not many Australians in, in Egypt. There's probably about a 50, 50, 50 families, maybe. But in Dubai, there's, there's thousands of them. So um, I tried to connect with them. They were sort of interested. But what stopped that project was the government wanted me to register with the Ministry of Sport. Um, and and they, 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 did, they didn't agree. They didn't understand the game. They said, it's a, it's a violent game. <laughs> <laughs> it's nothing like we've ever seen before. <laughs> yeah. We had a few accidents, of, you know, kids yeah, nearly yeah. gave, yeah, nearly hurting each other and there was blood and they weren't used to all that. Even though the kids were enjoying all the, all the, all the aggression, they loved it, but the government didn't want to. <laughs> and then after that, we brought over um, and, and Buckskin from the Australia Council. So that was a great event. I've got to tell you about that one. So Anne Buckskin is the chair of the Australia Council. She came over in 2018 um, to talk about uh, Indigenous art. So Anne Buckskin is an Indigenous um, uh, artist and, and administrator and chair of Australia Council. So that was a big, um, a big move for Egypt. And the Egyptians absolutely loved Indigenous art. They, 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 they could see themselves in it, in the art. They even started to compare boomerangs because apparently there's boomerangs in the Egyptian museums that are only 7,000 years old. And Anne was saying that our boomerangs are 60,000 years old. So they said they're having a huge debate about whose boomerang is older. And that went on today. <laughs> uh, the other one is that uh, wasn't there a, uh, a, um, a film festival type uh, arrangement between uh, Australia and Egypt? We started working on Winda. The Winda Australian, uh, again, Indigenous Film Festival. That was with Pauline Plague in South Australia. Very interesting um, artist and administrator also. Um, but again, it didn't go through because the Australian funding body wasn't completely sure where that where we were going with the um, project. It's a fantastic idea. I think I got the response. Fantastic idea, Mo and Pauline, um, to have Australian Indigenous films in Egypt. But... Where is it going? You know. So 
So our, our, our you know, vision was to showcase Indigenous artists to the region. But the problem is Australia and Egypt, they don't know each other. They're so far away from each other and they just don't see the potential of working together. I mean, Australia um, exports wheat and fava beans to Egypt and that's it. And I don't think Egypt, I think Egypt export cotton to Australia and they've stopped there. Well, we've got a, a different story to most migrants that migrated to Australia. Um, so dad left Egypt in the 50s. He went off to Germany um, when, the, when, the, um, when the revolution happened here. So the revolution here in 52 was getting rid of the monarch. So the monarch was here with the English and the army took over in the 50s. So uh, I think dad's brothers and sisters stayed, most of them stayed. Dad got the, the rough end of the stick in the family, lost a lot of um, inheritance. So he took off to Germany as a young, I think he was about 17. And then he came back to Egypt in the 60s, late 60s, married mum. And he had a brother in Perth. So they, were, they lived in Perth. So he went off to Perth in the late 60s. So usually the, the Middle Eastern immigration in Australia happened after the Turkish immigration. It probably happened in the 80s. So we were one of the first Middle East. Um, and there was also the Egyptian Jews who came in the 50s and they're not really known in, in Australia. And that's a shame because um, I'm trying to shed light on that at the moment, uh, you know, to shed light on that story. So that's a really important story. And there's a, a, a fantastic writer called Rashleen. She's written a book about the Egyptian Jews. She's, from, she's living in Sydney. So her family went off to Italy in the 50s and then they went off to Sydney. She's been in Sydney ever since. Uh, and she's been trying to shed light on the Egyptian Jew story, the Jewish community story for you know, 40 years and, and, and nobody seems interested. So, yeah, that's, that's happening at the moment. So we're trying to work on a play called Camellia, the musical. And Camellia was a, a Jewish Egyptian who was killed in the 1950s for, <laughs> they, they thought she was a spy. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm actually working on that at the moment. Um, with some guys from Canberra. So you've got lots of irons and different different fires. That's, that's the beauty about this industry. I don't know what young younger generations are thinking when they go um, study at the VCA or study um, a filmmaking course or a media course. I don't know what their dreams are. That I want to be famous, that I want to go to Hollywood, that I want to make a great Australian film in Australia. I, I don't know what they're thinking, but all I can say is that don't give up. Um, don't go off and become primary school teacher straight away, you know. If you really, <laughs> if you really, and, and don't you know, don't give up and just work in a cafe or, or whatever. You know, it it really is an interesting, an amazing industry to be in. Um, and, and you meet so many people, and you have so many adventures, and so much fun, and a lot of hard work. But I would never give it up for anything, you know. That's all I can say because Mum was a broadcaster in Egypt. Um, before she went to Australia, and then she went to Australia, worked for SBS um, for about ten years, um, and she 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 got me to love um, media. And Dad was sort of against media, but Dad was like, "What's media? What's culture?" He didn't really like all that stuff. <laughs> Get you killed, <laughs> you know? Doesn't pay the bills, sort of thing. Um, but it, but it can it can really pay the bills, and. Um, you can meet some amazing people and um, and do some amazing and tell people stories. And that's what it's all about. We're telling, we're retelling people's lives. 
we're helping people, we're healing people. Um, helping people is one of the greatest gifts. I mean, I've been a teacher now for eight or nine years, and it's fantastic seeing them grow. And it's so interesting seeing people develop into something else. People come in with a, a mindset about who they are, and they come out with something completely different. And, and seeing that is very interesting. So it's, it's been great. It's been hard. It's been great. Um, and I, I wouldn't give it up to the world. You're listening to 855 AM. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.